Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. We're beginning episode three of Jesus Has a Name, and it's entitled, With God, It's Always Personal, and this is part one. In the first two episodes, we discovered that Jesus has a name, a powerful name, a personal name, one by which we are to know him. It is his memorial name to every generation. And that name is separate from his various titles and roles, including that of the Lord, the Adonai. Yahweh is his name and Adonai is his role, which indicates that Yahweh is absolutely, completely, and unequivocally sovereign over all things, all the time. But his name is never to be confused with his role or his title. His name is personal. For his name contains the fullness of his personhood and his identity, as Yahweh is rooted in the I Am, the Hayah, which speaks of his eternal nature and how all that ever was, now is, or ever will be, originated and originates only in him. And to our surprise, the I Am, our Adonai, wants us to know him as he knows us. In fact, we are told that the Son has come and given us understanding so that we might know Him, the Father, who is true. In fact, unbeknownst to most, it is the true knowledge of the Father and the Son which defines for us eternal life. As we start this third episode, we need to ask ourselves, what is the implication for our lives of the incredible name, Yahweh? Why did God reveal to us His personal name for all generations? Why did he not just ask us to call him God or the big guy? To understand this dynamic, let us return once again to Moses' conversation with God at the burning bush. This is in Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 through 9. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And also, I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. 
Just step back for a moment, and I think you'll be able to see how personal and intimate this communication is between Yahweh and Moses, as well as between Yahweh and the people of Israel. He introduces himself using his personal name, and in effect, attempts to remove from their minds the terrifying notion of God, with all the thunderbolts and lightnings, very, very frightening. And this introduction must have freaked out Moses. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are legends. But here Yahweh is saying that he did not make himself personally known to them, or better understood, he did not introduce himself by his name Yahweh, but simply as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Wow, that is a bit shocking. Yet he made himself known to Moses by introducing himself using his personal name. And not only to Moses, but he introduced himself to the entire population of Israelites to the common man and woman who suffered under the cruel mastery of the Egyptians. They were all to know him as Yahweh, their Adonai. He reminds Moses and those in bondage that he made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he fully intends on completing it, for he is Yahweh. Hence, he is the one in control, not the Egyptians, not Pharaoh, nor their plethora of demonic gods, nor anyone else. As El Shaddai, God Almighty, he is the only one who can move time and space to fulfill every promise Yahweh has ever made. His name, Yahweh, further communicates that every promise he made will be fulfilled. In fact, it is guaranteed. It is just a matter of time. He has heard their groanings and their cries, the cry of their hearts. He knows what is going on in their lives. He is aware of the pain of their bondage, and the time is now in which he will pour out his mercy and compassion upon their lives. As the I am, Yahweh will be the source of everything they need all the time. Just the notion that God knows and genuinely cares about their suffering must have blown their minds. I'm sure that was unimaginable to their imprisoned souls. Did you notice, however, that Yahweh used his name five times in this passage? It's a clever way in which the Spirit of God highlights Yahweh's declaration of grace, goodness, and favor towards them, as five is the biblical number denoting grace or favor. He then tells Moses to tell the Israelites his name. As he assures them of all the marvelous plans he has for them, he says, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you for possession. I am Yahweh. This is all so personal. It is even bookend with the name Hayah, I am Yahweh. It's used three times, highlighting the fact that he has just made the perfect promise, as three is the biblical number denoting perfection. And as the Hayah, the I am, he will do all that he promised, and he will be for them all that they could ever need. Seven times he said, I will, as he gives them a complete promise, as seven is the biblical number denoting completion. 
These seven I will statements were intended to, number one, empower their hopeless hearts, which had far too long seemingly been disregarded. And two, empower their thoughts, which had been suppressed and sequestered. And three, empower their physical bodies, which had been beaten and oppressed. Yahweh promises that he will be their provision for their hearts, their minds, and their bodies, for he is the I am. Then he said, he will take them for his people, his own personal possession, and he will be their God. As a result, they will know he is Yahweh, for he will do for them as he said. Now, God revealing his personal name to his people is reflective of his deep desire to have a personal relationship with them, for them to be his people, and for him to be their God. This was intended, in fact, I believe the name itself is intended, to remove from their hearts, and our hearts, the fear of man, the fear of God, the fear of the enemy, the fear of the pain they had endured, the fear that their future will somehow be their past, and fear from wherever it originates. Properly understood, his name, Yahweh, casts out all fear. In the same way, the name Yahweh is to imbue within our hearts, our minds, and our bodies a deep confidence, assurance, comfort, and security, knowing that Yahweh sees us, hears us, wants us, understands our pain, and is not only able, but will personally fulfill his promise to set us free. It is just a matter of time. The sad thing is, and I believe it is one of the curses of humanity, the pain of our suffering, which pours out from our wounds, which we have endured, far too often speak louder to us than the name Yahweh. In fact, fear hides itself deep under the layers and layers of our pain, making it exceedingly difficult for us to comprehend what is truly going on at the core of our soul. After all, most of us have packed things down so deep in our being because we never again are wanting to feel what we felt or think what we thought. Therefore, it is extremely hard for us on our own to get to the core of our wounding and to get a glimpse of the fear that is intertwined with our wounds. This is pictured for us in the way the Israelites did not listen to Moses nor Yahweh on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. It was all too much for them and lasted for far too long. They had become hopeless and consumed by the despair of their suffering. How many of us have suffered so long that we have become hopeless and consumed by despair? Probably far more than we would ever imagine. But please understand, the name Yahweh, rooted in the Hayah, or the I Am, is intended to give us assurance that every aspect of life, without exception, is from Him, by Him, or through Him, and to Him. Therefore, it has all been playing out according to His plan A for our lives. After all, with God, there is no plan B, plan C, or plan D. For with him, there is never a reaction to man or to the evil one or to anything, just an execution of his predetermined plan. Considering this truth might make us very mad at God since it means that all the pain we have endured and all the suffering was purposed by him and came from him. Yes, that is what his name declares. His name makes everything personal. 
and far beyond allowing it to happen in our lives, he did it. And he does not hide the fact that he, Yahweh, is our Adonai, the Lord, and there is no other. However, since Yahweh is the I am, and Jesus declared that only Yahweh is good, we do not have to live in either fear or a despondent hopelessness, despite what we have endured and are even now enduring. We can have a confident hope, no matter what he takes us through, that he is always working out his good, pleasing, and perfect will in our lives. And as difficult as that is to fathom, much less believe and feel, it is the truth. He is good. In fact, he's the only one who is good. And he is bringing forth his goodness in our lives. It's just a matter of time. I know that life for many of us does not feel good most of the time. Furthermore, it is extremely hard to convince ourselves that our suffering is good, much less necessary. But that is what his name declares. And since his name stands in stark contrast to what we tend to feel, he must, step by step, teach us why it is the truth and how to actively believe in this truth. Ouch. Yes, a double ouch. With that said, please understand that none of this is innate, natural, or normal in our humanity. So do not feel bad if this is not yet your truth. Honestly, this understanding is entirely foreign to the way many of us have existed as entitled victims who tend to operate by what we can see and feel versus what we have been told. However, if we are willing to come to know him as our I am, if we bet our lives on the name Yahweh, we will learn how to wrap ourselves in his name and come to know his promise of peace and rest in the depths of our souls, regardless of what is happening in our lives. We will even choose to live anxious for nothing. And that is not just a fanciful biblical cliche. Once our fear is subjected to the name Yahweh, the fear of the known and the unknown, we will find that we are free to enter Yahweh's Sabbath rest and literally be still. We will learn, like King David, to compose and quiet our soul, just like a weaned child sitting upon his mother's lap, regardless of the trouble that is circling in and around our lives. The secret, the secret to entering his rest is to first agree with his primary goal for our lives. Yahweh's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives is that we might be like him, transformed into the image of Yahweh. And we know that all things work together, literally they work in union, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If we are willing to agree with this goal, understanding that we are aliens and strangers in this world and do not belong here, then we will come to find the strength to rest in the fact that everything we have ever endured and every step we have ever taken, whether for good or for evil, was all about Yahweh accomplishing this beautiful purpose in our lives, transforming us into his image. And although we might not like what he has chosen to do, 
We find assurance in it all that we belong to him and he is crazy mad in love with us. His name declares that nothing in our lives has been random or arbitrary, nor has it been a capricious reaction to what we have done. Rather, he purposed everything in our lives to give us the opportunity to let him transform us into the image of Yahweh. And when he says everything, he means everything works towards this purpose without exception. Every joy and every deep trauma have all been intentional and aimed at his primary goal for our lives. As he said, all things cooperate with him in this purpose. All things. Once again, he speaks of absolutes without exceptions, everything, all things. As such, with Yahweh Adonai, there are no rogue agents and there are no random events, just the carrying out of his plan A for our lives. We have discussed in previous episodes that there is only plan A for our lives, his plan where all things are aimed at teaching us why we can trust in the I am for all aspects of our lives and how to trust in the I am for all aspects of our lives. By way of example, consider the following, Psalm 76.10, human defiance only enhances your glory, for you use it as a weapon. This is the proof that everything cooperates with Yahweh in accomplishing his goal in our lives, even our defiance, or literally in the Hebrew, our wrath. He straps it on as a weapon or a tool, and it is used to aid in accomplishing his goal in our lives. You might not yet be appreciating the implications of this truth, but they are nothing short of staggering. Given this reality, where everything works in unison with God to accomplish his purpose, where is the room for condemnation, guilt, and shame in our lives? Where is there room for victimhood and entitlement? Where is there room to fear who is going to hurt us and how they are going to hurt us? After all, if God is for us, who can be against us? Just think about it. Given the name Yahweh, who is our Adonai, the whole idea of an enemy is not much more than a misnomer to the chosen people of God. It is a vapor, an illusion. Psalm 56, 8 through 11. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In Yahweh whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Romans 8, 31 through 32. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since everything cooperates with God towards his beautiful purpose, to transform his chosen ones into the image of his son, then do we even have enemies or just a bunch of tools in the hands of Yahweh helping us reach our agreed to goal? Because Yahweh ensures that all things move in union with him for the good of all who love him, we literally have no enemies. Not even the devil and his minions are our enemies. They are just tools which he uses for a specific purpose, and he uses them according to their nature. But Yahweh has many tools 
and they are all used for the exact purpose for which he designed them in the first place. Now, we may be their enemy, and they may be poised against us with all their hatred, vile, weapons, destructive words, and their intent to harm us, but they can only do what Yahweh directs them to do. Remember, all things are from him. And if he lets them, as all things are through him, it is only to accomplish the goal, his goal, as all things are to him. We tend, however, to get fixated on the illusion of all our enemies because we do not yet actively believe in Yahweh Adonai. And we do not agree with God that his purpose for our lives to know him and to be like him is the very purpose for our existence. We think that our version of what is good is far better than God's version of what is good. Therefore, we fight, we run, we hide, we complain, we become embittered, and so on, all because, although on the one hand we say we agree with his goal, but on the other hand, we hate how he accomplishes it. We believe, at least our emotions are convinced, that there must be an easier or a better way for God to get this work accomplished. After all, he is God. Can't he just snap his fingers or something? Come on, God. However, this truth that everything, all things work and cooperate with God in accomplishing his purposes in our life should give us comfort and the ability to eventually compose and quiet our soul, to be anxious for nothing and put our hope in Adonai, Yahweh, as we seek to know him with our heart, mind, body, and soul. We see an example of this goal being worked out in the life of Paul as he expresses the ultimate fulfillment of God's purpose, which I like to call the design point. Paul states, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by faith, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Transformation into the image of the Son is not an easy road. The pathway to experiencing the design point, Christ living within us, is crucifixion. The putting to death of all that is within us that stands in opposition to God. In other words, death must come to every lofty thought, every internal belief system that is rooted in our fear and pride, everything that raises itself up against the true knowledge of Christ. And the hard thing to swallow is that crucifixion, used here as an idiom, speaks of a slow and painful death. Still, despite the need for crucifixion, the truth about his name Yahweh helps us put into perspective all the trouble circling in and around our lives and all the pain we have endured throughout our lives. Remember, with Yahweh, it is always personal. From the perspective of the design point, it has all been necessary, every little bit. Besides, if you have ever asked for more of God, to know him better and so on, if you ever sung a song of worship declaring that you want him to have his way, he has just been answering your prayer. All those prayers are answered through his developing our ability to declare, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That is true transformation. And with that, we'll stop and pick up on our next episode with a continuation of this topic that with Yahweh, 
it is always personal. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.